0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'd be one to make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you. Put this kind of day in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me, at Jim Kramer. Okay, listen to me. The market deserved to get hit today when the Purchasing Managers Index, measures the strength of manufacturing, slips to its lowest level since two thousand nine. Everybody's going to freak out. They're worried about a recession, which is why the Dow lost three hundred forty four points, S and P fell one point two three percent, and the Nasdaq dropped one point one three percent. Now, I spent all last week telling you this market was due for this beatdown. But I also told you that I don't believe we're headed into a recession. I am standing by that position. But the recession thesis became more compelling today, and you need to get your head around it if you want to understand this market. So let me lay it all out for you. One place. The single biggest prop behind the recession thesis is the president's trade policy. But maybe not the way you think. Trump's tariffs on Chinese exports have done real damage to the Chinese economy. It's the second largest in the world. As China falters, it is taking the rest of its trading partners with it, especially Europe. Throw in worries about Brexit, along with a lack of fiscal stimulus from Germany. And you've got a worldwide slowdown going. It's one that we might not be immune to. The logic here does sound pretty airtight, doesn't it? So then how come I'm not more worried about a recession than everybody else? Well, it's the last step, yes. There is a worldwide slowdown, but I don't see it doing as much damage here. If we were an export-oriented manufacturing economy in the United States, well, we'd be in a lot of trouble. But we have a service-driven economy. Two-thirds of our commerce is non-industrial domestic. We're a late-stage capitalist country. Only our exports are really vulnerable, but our manufacturing base has already been devastating years ago. What do we actually sell to the rest of the world? Airplanes and automobiles. And look, a big export maybe the biggest, It's the Boeing 737 Max. That's grounded. Think about that. General Motors, it's on strike. Think about that. So when you see that hideous purchasing managers' index number today, you need to take those two factors into account. I don't think people did. I think they explain a lot of the, of the step-down that we're talking about. In other words, we are not going back to the 2009 economy. That's the worst since the Great Depression. Frankly, I doubt our exports could take us down like that. They're too small lucky or not, I guess, to do all that much damage. That's why I want to put today's action in a different context from what you might have heard. We got hit today because we were due for a pullback. Think about it. The market's had an incredible year. The s and up 17% for the 2019. We're now in the fourth quarter. It's a period where mutual funds typically begin to take profits so that their uh, investors, like you, can do some tax planning. It's natural. Remember, I predicted this pullback two weeks ago, and I had no idea about the PMI number we got today. I said there'd be something off the wall that would hurt us. I hadn't known there was going to be this. The truth is that the market had already gotten severely overbought, hence why we've been ringing the register for my charitable trust, and I've been coming out here pretty much every day and telling you we've been ringing the register. You can find out more by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, which I'm pretty, uh, let's say I've been adamant that, well, ring the register. Today, we actually did for the first time some buying, but only a little, because I think the averages could have more downside and sold something to buy. But it's the first buying I have sanctioned because at last, after today, so much profit taking, we're oversold. What else? Okay, the market has been exhausted. by initial public offerings that buyers are no longer interested in or, more accurately, are repulsed by. I told you this was going to happen, that there would come a day where there have been so many deals that it could wreck the whole darn market. Companies with rapid growth and no profits have gone way out of style on the Wall Street fashion show, so there's little demand for something like a Peloton, which came public at 29 last week. I told you to sell it, and now sits at $22 and change. That's the latest in a long line of disappointing deals, and they're weighing on the averages. Thank you, Uber. Third, we got a rude awakening of what could happen during earnings season when the brokerage stocks collapsed on news that Charles Schwab will no longer take a commission on a host of products, including stocks, ETFs, and options. Schwab stock dropped 9%. E-Trades plunged 16%. E-Gads TD Ameritrade down 25%. On the other hand, there are also some positives. Let's keep track of these, right? You didn't hear much about it. There was McCormick, the spice company, The airport is slightly better than expected quarter. Its stock shot up, get this, nearly 7%, mostly because of strength in this particular brand of Franks. So I wouldn't be too worried about the earnings season. There's going to be good and some bad. Fourth, there's Washington, and this matters. Two weeks ago, I interviewed Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and she talked about the need to work together with the president to pass the new NAFTA, the revised trade deal with Mexico and Canada, that's essential to so many companies and their employees. But just a few days later, the Ukraine story broke. And suddenly she's leading the charge on impeachment. Hard to work with the president on the trade agreement and impeach him at the same time. Beyond that, however, every may feel about impeachment, the potential spillover effects are undeniable and they're jarring people. There's a belief that Trump won't be able to get a trade deal from China if he's impeached in the House because the Chinese will just say, uh-uh, that will, uh, for certain, cut back on business investment. More importantly, depending on how bad this gets for the president, there's a real possibility that it could lead to a Democratic sweep in next year's elections, something that could put Elizabeth Warren in the White House, she's the punitive leader, and give her both chambers of Congress. Wall Street is terrified of Warren. I think a lot of that is overblown, but my view does not matter. As long as this is the narrative that terrified by Warren. And boy, is it ever the narrative. We need to be prepared for endless bouts of selling every time there's some new development with the impeachment proceedings or another poll that puts Warren ahead of, say, Biden in the primaries. And that could last right up until Election Day. So how come I'm not losing more sleep over this scenario? For starters, it is very early in the race. We have no idea what will happen. Trying to bet on the election results more than a year in advance, I think that's a fool's game. On top of that, there's always a possibility that Trump will get a trade deal with China. I think the chances are slim, but if the president thinks he's slipping, he might be a lot more willing to compromise with the Chinese. But the main reason I'm not worried about a Warren White House, or at least as much as the other guy, is that I just don't think it's going to be nearly as big a deal as people think. Wall Street is acting as this is her playbook. That she's Chairman Mao. Frankly, that's lunacy. I expect Warren to raise taxes on the very rich. Well, it's a shocker she's been saying that. I think she'll go after companies that she believes are too powerful, like Teddy Roosevelt did more than a century ago. As Mark Zuckerberg pointed out, it will suck for Facebook if she goes after them. But he'll be able to take his case to a court of law. Maybe he'll win. Will Warren break up big tech? I have to tell you, as I see the price-to-earnings ratios of these stocks collapse, eh. It might not be that bad if say, let's say she says alphabet has to be broken up. Now, they may not want it, okay? But it might be positive for shareholders. I mean, you get some YouTube and you get the Waymo way and you get the healthcare thing and you get the search. Frankly, that's going to add up to a heck of a lot more than the stock is right now. Yeah, the parts are now worth more than the whole. Worst thing for the stock market, I see Warren pushing to tax capital gains and dividends at the same rate as ordinary income. That's not something new. It's happened because rich people do benefit inwardly from keeping those rates lower because they own more stock. It's certainly possible that investors will sell stock ahead of time in an effort to anticipate that change. But again, I'm telling you, that really feels like gun jumping. Here's the bottom line. I am not saying it's time to head for the exit here. In fact, I am saying the opposite. If you've been selling stock for weeks to raise cash, as I've been advising you to, this is a good time to start looking for stocks to buy into weakness. And we've got some we're going to mention later in the show. But if you're living in fear of recession or of the prospect of an Elizabeth Warren presidency, I think you're going to miss out on some terrific opportunities. And I think you're too scared to act reasonably to protect or grow your wealth. Joel in Florida. Joel.
1: Hi, Jim. First, uh, I want to thank you for your advice making me a lot of money. Oh, thank you, If you're you, in Joel. South Florida, I'd be glad to give you lessons of learning to play the beautiful game of Highline. Oh! My question, cool. yeah, and not just watching, but playing. Oh,
0: uh, well, question, I, went, I used to go to Big Ben Highline when uh, when it opened in Tallahassee, near Tallahassee. Man, I got to tell you, that's fun. The front, The front. Oh, it's,
1: like it's, the, a, it's the, a beautiful sport. <laughs> My question is that some time ago, you recommended Skyworks Solutions, which I bought at $6 a share, yeah, that- and I pyramided it up over several years, and uh, it, I guess Skyworks went sky high to over 100 To avoid being labeled a pig, I sold some for a nice fat profit and left some on the table I think they call it playing with the house's money. That's
0: many. right. That's my goal.
1: Now, Skyworks descended from the Celestial 100 to about 77 My question is, do I sell? Buy or stay the course.
0: Well, remember, you're playing with houses of money, so you don't really have to do anything. Uh, that was during the stock was at six. We had uh, Mr. Alderson, on, David Alders. I said, This stock is going much higher. It went from six to 100. Thank you for remembering that. I, I nailed that. Then Liam Griffin came in. Liam's terrific, but this is very much caught in the crosshairs of the trade dispute. I would not buy more. I would not sell more. I would hold on to it. Liam Griffin, please come back on the show. And not just because the Patriots look like they're going to go all the way again, which is. Unfortunate. Trevor in North Carolina. Trevor. Hey, Jim, I'm 23 years old, and although I'm a cord cutter, I listen to the podcast every single morning. Hey, tell you where you can get it. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Jim, so I got 23 of percent of my mad money portfolio tied up in canopy growth at a $40 cost basis. OK, with canopy growth hitting this 52 week low, should I double down here or move over to something like GW Pharma? Well, I got an answer. Well, GW Pharma terrific. OK, and I know that there were some a short rate on it. GW Farm is real. But I have to tell you, Constellation Brands reports on the third. Let's see what they have to say about Canada before we pull the trigger on it anymore. All right. I do not believe we're going to have a recession. All right. I understand that you may disagree, but it's important to take a deep breath and don't let panic take over. And you know what? i got to tell you, I have seen enough times in my life that people have been trying to, let's just say, take quotes from Chairman Mao. I don't see that right now with one of the presidential candidates that people think is doing that. Oh man money tonight, Chinese IPOs are back in the news as rumors swirl that the government is considering limiting Chinese companies' access to U.S. Ca- capital markets. What does it mean for recent Chinese IPOs? I'm more from you, my take. This isn't the SEC's SEC handbook. All right, then. Even in a trade war, people have to eat. So, how about taking a closer look at the appetizing place? I'm going off the charts to find out and then give you my conclusions. And in a market dominated by trade worries, I'm playing defense by going domestic. Tonight, the company that keeps the lights on in the city that never sleeps is here. Can it electrify your portfolio? Or he has. Don't miss my exclusive with Ed CEO. And stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnBC.com.
0: On Friday, Bloomberg reported that the White House might be on board with making it harder for Chinese companies to access American capital markets. But yesterday, Peter Navarro, rightly President Trump's most hawkish trade advisor, came on Squawk Box, walked it back, calling the story fake news. i got to tell you, that's actually too bad. We should make it harder for Chinese companies to raise money here in the United States. And I'm not even talking about this in the context of the trade war. This is purely about protecting investors from garbage merchandise. What we need is a moratorium on Chinese IPOs. As I've been telling you for ages, companies from China keep coming public here in the United States. And for the most part, this deluge of deals has been a nightmare for anyone who's participated in them. The house of pain. There are a few winners, but for the most part, Chinese IPOs have been incredibly toxic to your wealth. Sell, 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 sell. We've had 31 of these deals last year and 14 more in 2019. Do you know that almost all of them are underwater? <laughs> On average, these stocks have fallen 32% from where their IPOs is priced. If you go by where they closed in their first day of trading, they're down 37%. <laughs> In a market that's already overwhelmed with low-quality initial public offerings, the last thing we need is more questionable securities from China, which has much weaker regulations surrounding all this stuff than we do. Chinese companies should comply with our disclosure rules. It makes a ton of sense. If you want to list your stocks on a U.S. exchange, you should have to follow U.S. securities law. In fact, it's total lunacy that this isn't already the status quo. What happens when you let Chinese companies take advantage of our stock market without subjecting them to the same disclosure requirements as U.S. companies? I'll tell you what happens. Investors get burned. That's what. So tonight, I want to lay out the quantitative case for imposing some kind of limitations on new U.S. listings for companies based in the People's Republic of China. When you look at all 45 Chinese names that came public here in 2018 and the first nine months of 2019, their underperformance is Staggering! Like I told you before, these Chinese IPOs are down an average of 32% from when they came public. 32%. And that's not just a few bad apples spoiling a whole bunch. The median Chinese IPO is down more than 37%. Of all 45 stocks, only six are up from their closing price on the first day of trading. Six! In fact, there's a whole pattern here. The median Chinese IPO peaked 22 calendar days after it came public. A third of them peaked on or either their first or second day of trading. Roughly two-thirds have been cut in half from their post-IPO highs. In other words, typically Chinese IPOs may start strong and roar higher in the first few weeks. But then they quickly get peaked, and then they tend to get eviscerated. When you look specifically at the class of 2018, there were 31 deals. Only three of those stocks are now above their IPO price, and it's been a good market. Only three. Now, those three winners are up anywhere from 20% to 95%, and they're often the ones that are thrown at me on Twitter by a bunch of chowderhead sunshine clowns, as reasons to be excited about the Chinese deals. But that doesn't come close to offsetting the 28 losers, some of which are down 80 or 90% from where they came public. Thanks, PRC. As for the 14 Chinese deals from the class of 2019, only four are above their IPO price, and who knows how long those four will continue to hold up. Those are terrible odds. I would sell them all. While well, this year's crop is only down 18% on average. Remember, the s and is up 17%. This is only down 18%. The media is much worse, down 32%. More than half of these stocks peak within a week of coming public. I think the 2018 vintage is doing worse simply because these, those newer names haven't had as much chance yet to disappoint you. What more can I say? The overall track record of these deals is abysmal. There are some distinctions, though. The larger Chinese companies tend to perform better. But even with the winners, most of their gains came on the first day. So I would sell any of these and invest in companies where the disclosure is stronger. Because as Justice Louis D. Brandeis famously pointed out, sunlight is the best disinfectant. How about a more in-depth example? Why don't we consider the case of one you've asked about many times? Let's consider the case of Neo NIO, which came public a little over a year ago. Normally, I wouldn't talk about a $1.32 stock. That's right, it's $1. thirty-two. But NIO, Neo has a $1.38 billion market capitalization and more than 26 million shares change hands every day. Plus, two weeks ago, Neo was trading at three bucks. It's only below our usual requirements because it's fallen so fast, so far. That's why it's the perfect example. Neo makes luxury electric cars. Sounds compelling. So, going in the deal, it was hailed widely. Chinese Tesla. We've seen the same story so many times: the Chinese this, the Chinese that. Neo's IPO prices at priced at six bucks and change. Then it shoots to thirteen dollars and eighty cents two days later because of all the hype. To this day, that remains the stock's all time high. NEO quickly gave up the gains, trading back to the mid-single digits. Then in February, 60 Minutes ran a segment on Chinese, China's drive to dominate the electric car industry, where they called NEO the Chinese Tesla. So, of course, the stock caught fire and it surged back to 10 and change. Once again, though, those gains didn't last. A few weeks later, it was back at 5. And it's been all downhill since then, stock getting annihilated over the past few weeks. What went wrong? First, about a month after the 60 Minutes piece, China announced that it was scaling back its electric vehicle subsidies. Very bad news for Neo. Then in June they had to recall nearly five thousand vehicles after a number of them caught fire. Suboptimal. Finally, last week the company reported a much larger than expected loss. Now you have all sorts of analysts speculating that Neo could run out of cash. Wait, a matter of years? A matter of months? How about weeks? Meanwhile, the actual Tesla has built a factory in Shanghai. It's getting ready to take China by storm. This is a textbook example of how people get burned by Chinese IPOs. The bull thesis for Neo could be a boil down to a single sentence. Chinese Tesla is a great elevator pitch, but there was no underlying rigor. Then the stock gets crushed by a series of unforeseen events, a rule change from China's government, a big product recall, shockingly negative earnings numbers. I bring this up not to give Neo a hard time, but because Neo is stereotypical. The bottom line. The last thing we need right now are more low-quality Chinese IPOs. I would love for our government to block these deals, regardless of what happens with the trade talks, because they are hazardous to your wealth. But even if these Chinese IPOs keep coming, you can avoid getting burned with this one simple trick. Just say no. Stick with quick. I keep telling you, this market's turning vicious, at least for the moment. And that means you need to get a little more selective about the stocks you want. You want companies that can thrive even in a time of uncertainty, even if the trade war drags on, even if the political flaw from impeachment makes American businesses gun-shy about spending money. So what might be worth picking at here? Consider some of the better-run fast food chains with stocks that have been holding up pretty well of late. Remember, the consumer economy is still in very good shape. The weakness here is mostly on the enterprise side of things. We've seen solid retail sales and discretionary spending numbers, some of the best in years. Job markets incredibly strong, best in 50 years. Wages are rising somewhat, although not so much as to be inflationary, so the Fed can cut rates. In short, the consumer has money to spend and everybody needs to eat. But just like in every other sector, it pays to be picky with the restaurants, which is a prevailing theme in today's market. Now, some of the sit-down places like Dine Brands, think IHOP and Applebee's, Dave & Buster's, Darden, Brinker, they've all struggled to bring in customers of late. The fast food chains, on the other hand, have lines out the door because they appeal to more value-conscious customers consumers. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Bob Lang, the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, as well as being the brilliant technician in the all-star team behind the street.com's trifecta stocks newsletter. And he's also the author of Know Your Options. We're going to get a better read on three of his favorite fast food stocks, McDonald's, Chipotle, and Jack in the Box. McDonald's and Chipotle particularly intrigued me, so I'm going to spend some more time later in the show addressing why I like them long-term and short-term. Let's start with the daily chart on McDonald's, of McDonald's, which got slammed today after JP Morgan published a pretty negative note, predicting that the same store sales would come in weaker than expected this quarter. In response, to stock plunged more than $5. This was really some of the major weakness in a, in a Dow Jones average that was pretty terrible to begin with. thing is, McDonald's is an incredibly well-run company. As I'll explain later in the show, I have enormous faith in the CEO, Steve Easterbrook. He has turned around the company with technology, with smarts, and the last quarter was excellent. So you might want to take this piece of research with a grain of salt. Now, just as important Lang really likes what he's seeing in the chart. So we're doing chart and then fundies. Even though McDonald's got hit today, the stock, look at this, it's been on a major roll, all right? Uh, It's up more than 17% for 2019, not bad. So far, it's made a series of higher highs and higher lows. Lang points out that every time there's been a dip in this one, that dip has been a buy. And as you can see, every time. And this time, well, let's just see. Last month, McDonald's broke down below its floor of support that's the 50-day moving average, which is the blue line. Uh, and currently at 214. And this is what often happens to stocks without a strong floor. Still, Lance thinks the pullback smells like an opportunity. The moving average convergence divergence, or the MACD line, which is right here, that's an important momentum indicator. It recently made what we call bullish crossover. That's where the black line goes above the red one. And it's a pretty reliable signal that the stock is ready to head higher. There's been no degradation. Of that it still continues to work. Plus, the Williams R percentage oscillator. Remember, we have Larry Williams who did some of his stuff. This is the, his oscillator. Measures when a stock has gotten overbought or oversold. It now shows at last, McDonald's in the oversold territory, which has always been a buy indicator. It's come down too far, too fast. due for bounce. What if we want something less ambiguous? Okay, now here's my absolute favorite. Chipotle. Look at this thing. Remember, again, doing chart first, and then later on fundies. This just exploded higher. It's up more than 90% year-to-date, and I think a lot of it is the brilliant leadership of CEO Brian Nickel and the fact that the company's finally gotten over all those health care worries from a few years ago. Remember, American public uh, thinks about 18 months, and then they forget. It's just the way it is. It's that far in the rearview mirror. Chipotle remains one of the great growth stories out there. The company invested heavily in technology, get those lines moving faster, and process more customers. They've cleaned up the stores. They're rolling out lots of enticing new uh, menu options, irresistible uh, carne Now, it's for the chart, Lang thinks it's got a lot going for it. Every time Chipotle pulls back to its 50-day moving average, the stock rebounds hard like it did last month. That's encouraging action. At the same time, there's the Ichimoku cloud. We've listened to this before. That's that green space on the chart. This is a technical tool that uses a bunch of moving averages to give you a read on the whole situation at a glance. When the Ichimoku cloud is green and expanding like it is with Chipotle, that's a good sign. Right now, though, the stock is kind of going sideways, consolidating. Uh, it's, it's got a monster gain from the summer. Remember, it's the largest, best-performing stock in the S and P. That's why Lang says it's a buy right here. Something I agree with, and again, I will talk about that as the show progresses. Chipotle's got a ceiling resistance at eight hundred and fifty, and once it breaks out of that ceiling, well, let's just say there could be a lot more upside. Might take some time though before the breakout happens. Lang says it's worth the wait. I agree. Finally. Now, this is one that I'm not covering fundamentally because I'm not as bullish on it as, as Bob is. Jack in the box. This is a company that competes directly against McDonald's. Jack's last quarter was spectacular. That's why this stock had a gigantic gap higher in August. Okay. And that worries me that it had such a big gap. Uh, this thing's been on fire, though ever since, making new high after new high. Every time the market's pulled back over the last couple of months, Jack in the Box has held up remarkably well. The stock's now above all of its key moving averages. The Ichimoku cloud is as bullish as it gets, uh, and green and expanding. While Jack in the Box is in overbought territory, according to the Williams percentage R, all right, all the way up here, and That's what worries me, by the way. I think it's a little overbought. I don't want it to come down to that gap. This might be one of the embedded situations where there's so much demand for a stock that it gets overbought and stays there for weeks or months. And discuss the embedded and get rich quick. It's the thing that really confounds me. It's a stock that's so overbought that it just stays overbought and wins. That's a, it's a positive sign. Now, look, for the past few weeks, Jack has been stuck in a pretty uh, tight trading range. But This is what's known as an ascending triangle. See that? Okay. And that's a uh, where a stock ceiling resistance stays roughly flat, even as the floor of support keeps rising. Why does this matter? Because this is what's usually what's called a continuation pattern, where a stock pauses to consolidate after a big move and then resumes that move once it's ready. In other words, Jack in the Box might be marking time here before it's next leg up. Lang says it's his favorite. Here's the bottom line. If you're looking for something, it might be worth buying in this difficult market. We have a difficult market. You can do a lot worse than the best run fast food chains. The charges interpreted by Bob Lang that Jack in the Box and Chipotle have much more room to run. And McDonald's is worth snapping up And we Just later in the show, I'll lay out my view. Long term, I like McDonald's. Chipotle should be bought now. I have to do more work on Jack in the Box because I just don't think this one is as easy as Bob says it is. Let's go to Pam in California. Please, Pam.
1: Hey, Booyah, Jim. Booyah, First-time Pim. caller, long-time listener. Love
0: oh, it. thank you.
1: I have a question for you. Starbucks, S-B-U-X, mm-hmm. has been on a coffee high for the last year with gains around 75% and beating estimates for the last eight quarters. So do you think they can sustain their global growth as they have been doing it in China? And should I stay caffeinated, get more caffeinated or dump my stale? Well, I like
0: that. I like the way you're approaching that, Pam. I have to tell you, I've been waiting for Starbucks to come down in order to tell people, look, once again, it's ready to go. And you know what? It has come down a lot. And I think that I believe that you should own the stock It had a terrific quarter, a terrific year. Kevin Johnson's doing well. They're taking profits in the stock like they're taking profits in many others. And they're cold brew during the afternoon, is crushing it. Starbucks is a buy. John in Michigan. John.
1: Hey, Jim. Love the show. Just wanted to know what your thoughts were on uh, uh, Grubhub. It's being shorted by Jim Chanos. He's right. got a two, 200, uh, 200
0: EPS. Well, here's e. the problem. Here's the problem with Grubhub. Uh I own uh, two restaurants. And I have to tell you, that the war between Grubhub and this outfit DoorDash, uh, Postmates, sold the big ads this weekend, maybe with Martha Stewart and Postmates, it is just too difficult for anyone to make money in that environment. The other two guys are private. They can lose all the money they want. So Grub, as much as it's very well run, and I happen to, and as everybody knows, we've had management on, I think Matt Maloney's terrific. I think that business is too hard, even for someone as good as Matt, Always welcome on the show. All right, don't let the market pull fast for you. You need to get more selective about what you own, and the chart suggests Jack of the Box, Chipotle, and McDonald's can thrive in uncertain times. Two out of three, I agree with. What's one man might add? I'm looking for a surge of profits in my exclusive with the CEO of Con Ed. Oh boy, talk about something you can own. Then, on a hideous day, one of the hardest hit pockets is also one of the best long term plays out there. So, what should you do with some of these restaurant chains? All of your calls, and of course, we'll take all your calls later. Tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. What do you do when the market gets slammed by worries about the broader economy? Well, classically, you pile into the defensive stocks, the ones that can do just fine in a slowdown like the utilities. What is the strength in Consolidated Edison? Con Ed, for short, our local utility in the New York metropolitan area. Here's a stock that's up 23% for the year, including a 10% gain since the end of July. And you know, I've been telling you over and over again, this is the utility to own. Now, at these levels, ConEd is selling for 20 times next year's earnings, 3.1% dividend yield. But some analysts think it's got more room to run, especially if long-term interest rates keep plummeting. Hey, just last week, KeyBank upgraded the stock to overweight, arguing that Wall Street's attitude toward the company is too negative. So, does it make sense to buy this one if you're worried about where we might be headed? Let's check in with John McAvoy, the chairman, president, and CEO of Consolidated. Listen. He get a better sense about how this company's doing and it. where it's headed. Mr. McAvoy, welcome back to Man Money. Good, Good to see you. Great to see you. Yes. Thanks for having me. Okay, so first, John. Um, everybody's worried about the slowdown in the economy, whether it's real or not, they're worried. Uh, classically, people say, well, wait a second, we should own utilities because people will pay for the bill no matter what. That's still true, right?
2: Yeah, utilities have typically been inversely correlated to interest rates, I think, particularly long-term interest rates. Some actually view it as a bond alternative. Right. Now, that's cyclical, though. That's a knife that cuts both ways. Right. We, we benefit as a sector as interest rates go down. We get hurt on the other end as
0: interest rates come up. Well, rates certainly seem like they're going down. Now, you're in a growing area. Does that matter?
2: It does, and and there's growth in many different ways. The transition to a clean energy economy that we're pursuing in New York really provides significant opportunities for investment that will help benefit our customers. We work to make sure that all of our investments are optimized to the value in customers and adopt things like solar panels, battery storage, electric vehicles, and energy efficiency.
0: All right, so typically I would say, well, wait, wait a second... Uh, if it's going to be more energy efficient and it's going to be more natural, it's going to cost more. But you're telling me that's not the case.
2: There are places where it will cost more. Okay. The, the adoption and the build-out of the infrastructure to support the transition to the clean energy economy will have places where it it has upward pressure on costs.
0: Now, uh, will you be able to put through rate increases that, are, that the state will regard as reasonable, which would still conceivably allow for dividend increases.
2: So we're in the midst of a rate case now for Con Edison Company of New York. We had filed for gas and electric rates in January. Um, We're currently, we reached an agreement in principle in early September, and we're working through the details with the parties. Those are all confidential at this point. But we expect that we'll have a a joint proposal ready to issue by the end of this month.
0: Uh, Historically, if you get that kind of joint proposal, uh, would there be room historically to raise dividend?
2: So historically in New York, if you get a joint proposal, it usually crosses the finish line. I can't think of any exceptions in, in recent history. And, and that will support, give us the support that we it allows us to continue to invest and support dividend growth. I don't predict what right. our dividend will be right. next year. But we've got 45 consecutive years of dividend increase, the longest of any utility in the well, S&P that's 500. We, that's why we been
0: backing you. It's, uh, it's axiomatic that this is the one to buy. Now, when you save on energy— who benefits?
2: So the environment benefits, the customer benefits, and it allows us to invest less in the system, which is another way that it feeds back to the customer.
0: Okay, so what do I have here that would actually make it so that maybe uh, energy use will be lowered?
2: So this is a device um, that we're, we're currently making available to electric vehicle users. It plugs into the data port of an electric vehicle. And if you charge within our service territory and enroll in mm-hmm. our program, if you charge between midnight and 8 a.m., you'll get a 40 percent discount on the electric price. For a typical EV user, that's $500 a year plus the enrollment bonus of $150.
0: And it's better for the stakeholder, which is the that we think is very important in a pivot in 2019, the earth. That, the that's earth right. is. It, and there, to some degree, you're actually at odds with the administration. Because you don't think what the EPA is doing or has been ordered to do. Is the right thing versus these kinds of things.
2: Yeah. This is particularly attractive because as more and more electric vehicles roll out, part of what we're going to need to make it successful is to ensure that there are incentives to charge them during off-peak periods. That will limit the amount of infrastructure investment that has to be made and make sure we're getting electric generation prices at what is typically the lowest part. The part that you referred to in the EPA, we have opposed the relaxation of upstream natural gas rules um, that were recently opposed by the EPA. We think natural gas continues to be part of the solution, the bridge to the to the clean energy future. And when we see that there are things being relaxed, it's inconsistent with our approach of minimizing exposure emissions wherever possible.
0: Okay, but let me just push back and say, listen, if I'm not in the continent area and I want bigger dividend increases, why don't I uh, support what the president wants?
2: So th- I think when you, you, if you look in detail at those proposals, they will tend to be utilized by relatively small com- customer companies, the ones that are on the margin. Right. We don't expect that it will have a significant impact okay. on the overall industry.
0: Now, uh, the, when we think there's been a big increase in cyber terrorism, and I have to believe that we have all these companies on it. You know, you put your stuff in the cloud, and then maybe you're driving around, and they hack the cloud. I mean, to me... Con Ed, no, I don't want to be specific to Con Ed, but a utility. The bad guys would like to knock out a utility, I think. And, you know, we've seen whole countries been plagued by knocked out of utilities. Sometimes I think it is cyber terror. How do you stop these guys? So
2: we consider that we are a high high profile target for them and we act accordingly. We are very focused on reducing the cyber threat. We have a four stage philosophy, prevent, detect, mitigate and and respond. Prevent means having secure firewalls, good cyber hygiene, and testing that with outsiders on a very regular basis. Detect. Many times when there are intrusions, the people have been in your system for many months before Mm. they actually act. They're collecting data. They're looking at patterns. So having detection mechanisms to know that somebody has, has intruded into your system is very important mitigate means that you're able to respond. You know how to isolate parts of your system. Mm -hmm. You know how to operate without those parts of the system. And then recover means that you have the resources and the plan ready to get back to full strength. Our industry has one particular thing. We have what's called cyber mutual assistance. In the same way when there's an overhead storm, we provide people from, from unaffected utilities to the affected utility. We have an agreement around mutual assistance for cyber. So if one of the utilities gets hit, well, we already have pre-agreements to allow our technical people to go and okay. help that utility.
0: All right, last question, Jeff. Uh, are we using less energy per
2: person or are we using more? We are using less energy per person.
0: Because of things like this, because we're being conservative, because of the light bulbs? Why are we winning on this? Because a lot of people feel we're not. It, it, it
2: is around energy efficiency more than okay. anything. As much as we talk about renewables and they deserve a big right. headline, energy efficiency for our service territory is usually better for the environment, better for the customer in terms of their bill. Than, than even solar or wind uh, opportunities.
0: That's, that's terrific. Well, I want to thank you so much, John McBoy, Chairman, President, and CEO of Consolidated Edison. Ever since we started the show almost 15 years ago, this has been our favorite. Mm-hmm. Now you know why. If you're just beginning to watch, May Money back after the break. It is time! And then the lightning runs over. Are you ready, Steve? Daddy, Over the lightning round. Let's start with Matt and Alabama. Matt. Roll tide. Booyah. Oh, man. Our Roll robot. cringy. You got that. What's up? What's up? Our, our robot. irb no, 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 no. this 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 What power. It's all we need right now. Matt in Texas. Matt.
1: Hey, Kramer, thanks for all you do. Hi, welcome. Hey, uh, what is your uh, opinion on uh, Exact Sciences Corporation, EXAS?
0: I think it saves the system. They've got the great uh, ant- uh, anti colon cancer uh, uh, detection. Stock is a little out of favor right now, but that's okay. I think it's good. Let's go to Nikki in Florida. Nikki?
1: Boy, yeah, Jim.
0: Nikki, how are you? Boy,
1: yeah, Jim. Been a long time. Nice okay. right to hear from the booyah men. All right, let's go. Jim, let's go to work. Jim, I'm concerned the debt to EBITDA ratio is high and the scale of their company. is ready to buy or sell.
0: Oh, Alex. Sell! Alex in California. Alex! Booyah, Dr. Craig. Wow, got a lot of today. What's going on? This is Alex
2: from Red Los Angeles. Long time, long time.
0: Oh, good deal.
2: Jim, on a down day like this... Um, I figured I asked you about a stock that pays 10% dividend. What do you think about CIM, Chimera Investments? Chimera, no, no.
0: We're, like, against all this stuff that we don't understand exactly what they own. Like, let's say it starts going down. You see, Jim, what do they own? I say, like, I don't know. That's not good enough. You deserve better. I'm going to say no to that. Let's go to Dominic in California. Dominic.
1: Hi, Jim. My grandson has a question
0: for you about a stock. Sure. Booyah Kramer. I'm a 14-year-old investor. I'm calling about a very profitable company that has both earnings and revenue. It's a medical aesthetic company that supports proprietary technology, and the stock name is InMode. What do you think about it? Here's a 14-year-old who just stumped me. He stumped me? I don't know that Israeli company. I have to do more? Well, no. it's, It's an Illinois company. But here's the problem with these guys. Just so you know, this is a medical device company that does dermatology and those are tricky. we got to do more. Just ask Just ask. Uh, what happened to Allergan. You don't want that to happen. Let's go to Leo in New Jersey. Leo! Professor Kramer, booyah! Well, thank you. I'm a, hey, I'm in Jersey myself. How can I help? I, I took a small investment on Netflix and it's been down by 30%. Right. So what do you think I should do? I'm not a Netflix fan here. I got this Disney. I got the Comcast. I got the CBA. I got the Disney. I got the ESPN. Plus. No, there's too many competitors. I'm saying Exchange. Uh, and I was big packer since the uh, very low prices. And that, ladies and gentlemen, other the Lightning Round! As I mentioned earlier when we're doing off the charts, one of the hardest hit stocks today is also one of the best investments over Here, year, McDonald's. Why was it down 2.6%? Because JP Morgan put out a piece of research arguing that McDonald's third quarter results will come in weaker than expected. Now, despite a very strong labor market and very little expansion in the industry, these are two good things for, for McDonald's. JP Morgan is confident the estimates are too high. According to the tracking service they use, things have deteriorated year-over-year, and McDonald's is losing market share to independent competitors. It gets worse. While delivery could be a major opportunity for the golden arches, JP Morgan's research says that it might be a little more complicated than that. McDonald's partnered with Uber Eats to do delivery. Uber Eats used that money to build out their platform. And now they've added thousands of other restaurants that compete very effectively against McDonald's. In other words, they may have sown the seeds of their own destruction. At the very least, in an environment where everybody delivers, it's much less of an edge. I got to tell you, I think this is really a tough kind of call. Even J.P. Morgan acknowledges that despite all these negatives, they still rate McDonald's a buy. Holy cow! But I get it. I think McDonald's is a buy, too, as did Bob Lang earlier in the show. There's just one problem. Do you know that almost every single firm that follows this stock has a buy on it? And when I see that, that's an accident waiting to happen. If any of these other analysts do their own checks and they get similar results, they're likely to downgrade. Given the stock's up 17% for the year, a down rate could cause a major sell-off from these levels. Don't get me wrong, I expect most of the analysts will defend McDonald's tomorrow, especially after the hammering it took today. But man, if, you, if you've been a bull in this stock ever since Steve Easterbrook took over as CEO and turned things around, it's got to be tempting to declare victory, dump the stock, ring the register, and say... So what do you do? Even though the stock may be precarious here, what I'm more worried about is what happens if you sell it and then try to get back in at a lower level once the shakeout's over. Kind of a hedge fund thing. Most people aren't that nimble, especially if you have a full-time job where you can't play with your stock portfolio all day. It's a real learning lesson. Can you get out? Get back in. Plus, we can't even be sure that J.P. Morgan's bearish channel checks are correct. I couldn't even tell you how many times I've seen these kinds of projections go totally off the rails. Happens all the time. In the end, I like to zig when others zag. This morning, the calendar changed. That's right, we're now in October. And that's when, when you reach October, money managers start piling into the year's biggest winners. They want to show investors they were smart. When they reveal their holdings, you'll know, wow, look what they own. Right now, there's no bigger winner in the SP 500 than Chipotle. It's up 92% for the year. I think a lot of the weakness that we hear about McDonald's may have to do with a lack of promotions that are compelling. Chipotle's the opposite. It's got a terrific one-timer, carne asada, a tender hand-cut steak. I have already had two of them. And, most importantly, it has teamed up with DoorDash to expand its delivery capabilities in a new system. Look, in New York, just even a couple of months ago, you could not get Chipotle delivered. Now, there are parts of the city covered. I think they're taking share from everyone, although I respect what Yum Brands has been doing here. I mentioned earlier that the delivery business is a, cut, is a cutthroat business. Don't own the delivery companies. Own Chipotle. So if you want to buy a restaurant right now, you want to buy a stock. I go over McDonald's with Chipotle. But if you're a long-term holder of McDonald's, I'm I'm telling you to ride out the weakness because even if something's wrong, I'm confident Steve Easterbrook will fix it. Yes, he's that good. And that, not the chart, is what matters. Stick with Craig. i'm not being glib let's not forget the market's up about 17 percent is it not right to expect a sell-off when we get a kind of not so hot industrial number but remember two-thirds of our economy is consumer and stop fretting every minute about washington it's becoming quite unseemly if you ask me because it's making it so that you're not making the right decisions you're not making considered decisions you're making your decisions out of fear that's wrong. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow.